Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everybody. This week on the show, we got Brett Morris from Recovery Survey Podcast and from Recovery Revolution Live. He's actually one of the, he's the first podcast host that had me on as a guest uh, about six months ago, maybe. Um, But he's also been a huge help in me getting the podcast started, answering information about social media when I was first getting started doing all of this. Um, So Brett's a really great guy. He's got a really amazing story. I'm so happy to have him on the show. Uh, Due to some technical difficulties, this show will only be an audio file. I apologize for no video. It it was a recording issue on my end and the app that I was using, so I apologize for that. Please enjoy the show. Um, Brett, it's so wonderful to have you, man. Uh, We'd like it if you could just start off by uh, giving us your story, man. Telling us, uh, you know... Your, your backlog, your drunk-a-log, how you ended up in recovery. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me on the show today. I'm, I'm really excited and, and grateful for the opportunity to, to share my story with you guys. Uh, I feel like my story is not all that unique. It, it's it's kind of, I feel like it's it's a lot of a lot of people's stories. You know, my, my youth started out uh, in high school, and I just didn't ever feel like I fit in, didn't feel like I belonged. Um just didn't really have that sense of community and camaraderie. And, uh, you know, I found, I found, uh, I was introduced to to marijuana and alcohol and and those things just made me seem to kind of chill out and, and feel more comfortable with myself and, and feel like I could handle those social situations. You know, it seemed to ease the social anxiety that I was experiencing. And, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of a, it was kind of an odd situation. You know, I grew up and, and I was homeschooled. And so I didn't have as much social interaction as, as most people do. Uh, and most of my, most of my socialization was done at church and church activities and, um, and like homeschool events and stuff like that. And those are some pretty, uh, socially awkward people. And, you know, I started working at a pretty young age. I had my first part-time job when I was 12. And so I was out of the house and I was around older people. And, um, 
you know, I was introduced to, to drugs and alcohol at a pretty young age. And that, um, that was kind of my first real social situation was, was having that job, you know, and, and being around those other people. And, uh, you know, that, it, it kind of stayed that way for pretty much all of high school, you know, drink on the weekends, you know, smoke a joint after work with, with some coworkers, like, you know, pretty tame stuff. And, and it just kind of became my new norm. And then, um, then I moved out and, and went to college um, for a, a very brief period of time. And having that new freedom of being out on my own, like I was able to start experimenting and trying different drugs and, um, you know, started pretty heavy on Coke. I really enjoyed doing that. And then, uh, you know, I can still remember the first time that I ever tried meth. And it was like, that's what I've been looking for. Like, this was the missing piece to my life and I felt just like this crazy level of confidence and there's like this really nice euphoric feeling from getting high and it just seemed like everything that I was missing I felt like I could be productive I felt like I could be social uh, I felt like life was more pleasurable uh, and that's just how it was in the beginning of my meth use, but it didn't stay that way for very long. And, and people talk about like chasing that first high. And I don't know that I was ever chasing that first high, but I just, I never could get that same feeling as that first time. But my life began to, sp to spin out of control pretty quickly once I started using meth and, you know, the environments that I put myself in, the, the people that I surrounded myself with, the situations I was in. You know, at the end of my drug use, I was living with my meth dealer, and um, and I knew that I needed to stop. I had this moment of, like, this realization that my life was not going in the way that I wanted it to go. And I remember calling my sister, and I just, you know, for the first time in a long time, got honest and said, hey, look, I've been... I've been using meth and my life is out of control and I don't know what to do. I'm living with my, with my dealer and she offered to let me come crash on her couch and kind of figure things out. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any kind of understanding about recovery. I didn't have any kind of context for recovery. Everything I knew about recovery was from things that I'd seen on TV and movies. So I didn't even really know about rehab or any of those kind of things. I knew rehab existed, but I knew that I didn't have the money to go to a rehab. And so I, I tried to do it on my own. I, I decided that um, the meth was my problem and that I could continue to drink and smoke weed, which was always kind of my go-to uh, my go-to spot. And so that's what I did. I, I put the meth down and I started drinking and I, I, I started drinking more heavily than I ever had before without, without those other substances in my body. And I was a pizza delivery driver at the time and I was drinking all day, every day. So those two things mixed together are not a great combination, you know, drinking and driving, um, is never, never a good idea. But at that point in my life, um, I just didn't have that concern. I didn't have any kind of thought about consequences or reper or, or the re repercussions of, of my actions. I just had that, that young, dumb mentality of like, I'm invincible and, and, you know, nothing serious could ever happen to me. Um, so this was probably about a month or so into me trying 
my own style of recovery, which I guess, you know, now with a little bit of knowledge and, and, and hindsight, I realized that it was, it would probably, probably be categorized as harm reduction. So I was, I was still drinking, but that was pretty much the extent of it, smoking a little bit of weed. And uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday, 2012. So we just passed the, uh, the 10 year anniversary of, of this event. And uh, I was on my way back to the shop to pick up some more pizzas. You know, it was a busy night with it being Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. So everybody was taking like three or four deliveries per trip. Like they would organize it based on like the neighborhood that it was going to. So we were trying to be as efficient as possible and, and take multiple runs. So people were gone for, you know, sometimes up to like an hour if they had, you know, if they ran into whatever, they would be gone doing multiple runs so i was on my way back from from one of these runs and um one of the bars down the street that i frequented uh they were going out of business and and they decided that their last hoorah was going to be on super bowl sunday so everybody was showing up and and you know just like the normal bar crowd and all the regulars are there and and the bartenders are, are pulling bottles off the wall and passing them out to to the regulars and you know just everybody's having a good time you know we're going to shut this bar down in style and so i had gone by there before my shift and i had i had consumed a, a good amount of liquor and then i went back while i was working and and got some more you know grabbed another bottle and you know like a little half bottle and, and chugged it and got back on the road uh so that kind of sets the context for where i was at mentally and physically right Um, right so i'm driving back to the to the pizza shop to pick up some more pizzas and go on another run and uh i pass out while i'm driving like i completely black out and even to this day i still just have like little fragments of of what happened like i can't remember the full event but i pass out behind the wheel while i'm driving and I slump over to my right towards the passenger side. And when I do that, I pull the wheel to my right. And as I'm going down the street, it's a residential street. So I'm going probably, I don't know, 35, 40 miles an hour, something like that. And I sideswipe three parked cars. Boom. Boom. boom, Just like bounce off the side of them. Cause I'm, cause I'm pulling towards the passenger side. And then I, I swerve into the front yard after I clear these three cars that I've just slid down the side of. And I end up going through their fence and then I hit their house. Whoa. And oh. that was the beginning of my recovery journey. I ended up going to jail, got probation, had to do some alcohol classes, had to do uh, community service, you know, the whole nine. That was my first introduction to 12-step recovery, and, you know, it took me a little while to get to that point where I was willing to actually give this thing a go. I still had that mindset that I was just in the wrong place, wrong time. Like, you know, if the circumstances were a little bit different, maybe if I had had one less shot, like, things would be okay. I hadn't come to the point where I, I could see the full picture and realize that I was suffering from an addiction and that I couldn't control it. Right. So I, I, I went in and out of the rooms for probably another, oh, probably about two years or so, you know, I'd pick up 90 days and then go back out and come back in and get 60 days and then go back out. And, you know, just this revolving door of, of just little short periods of abstinence. Right. And I remember towards the end or, or right before I got clean, 
this time. Uh, I, ha- I had a buddy that I had met in the rooms, and his name was Tim, and he said, hey, man, this was after a meeting. Like, he pulled me aside because everybody would, like, stand outside and, and chain smoke and talk and stuff after the meeting. And I remember he pulled me aside, and he put his hands on my shoulders and was, like, looking at me dead in the eyes. And he was like, if you don't quit doing what you're doing, you're going to die, and we're, we're going to be attending your funeral. Wow. And I love you too much to watch you do this to yourself. That's and that moment was was the turning point for me. Like, I had heard all the jargon at the meetings. Like, some of it was starting to get through. I started to hear some of the messages, and I could relate to some of the people sharing, but I wasn't really taking the whole thing seriously because I still wanted to do what I wanted to do. I didn't want to put down the drugs and the alcohol and when he pulled me aside and we had that heart to heart and I could see how sincere he was I could see it in his eyes and I could hear it in the tone of his voice and it was like wow somebody sees me somebody loves me somebody cares what I do and that was the moment that was like okay it's time for me to turn my life around and give this recovery thing a shot and that right. conversation happened a little little over seven years ago, man. And I haven't haven't put a drop of alcohol or a single drug in my body since that day. So that was that was basically that was the beginning of of my recovery journey. And um, you know that was a little over seven years ago, and here I am today. That's amazing. It kind of takes a few rounds, doesn't it? Sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. I know there's a lot of people that get it on the first try, but I'm, I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm very stubborn and hardheaded and I have to hear things multiple times before they really sink in. Mm-hmm. How, how soon, at what point did you get a sponsor? Uh, well, that was one of the stipulations of my probation in the beginning was that I had to have a sponsor. Um, so I, I quickly found like the easiest, most lax, chill person that I could find that didn't actually make me do anything, but would uh, sign a piece of paper for my probation officer and, and tell her that I had a sponsor. Right. <laughs> um, but after I had that talk and like actually started to take the whole recovery thing seriously, I ended up getting a sponsor with, within that first week or two. I can't remember exactly. I mean, it's been over seven years now, but in that first couple of weeks, like I, I really wanted to prove to people that I was doing something different and that I was taking it serious. So that was one of the steps that I took was I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a new sponsor and I'm going to start doing this whole recovery process. Yeah. There, there's a big difference between when it's um, put upon you in some way or when you, or when you actually come to it yourself and choose it for yourself. I I think that's when actual healing can probably take place before then it's probably those just like brushes with it and, and probably seeds are being planted, but maybe the growth isn't quite ready to happen yet. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, uh, I think a big part is uh, the connection and the accountability, you know, when we're trying to do it on our own, you know, I have absolutely, or at least back then when I was using, I had no problem lying to myself. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I'm good. I, I'm just going to drink today and I'm just going to get high today. I'll be all right. And it wasn't all right. It was a lie, you know, but then when I had my first sponsor and it's like, 
now I got somebody who not only is expecting me to call, but is going to call me if I don't. <laughs> is going to, and not just on the phone, but on life in general. You know what I mean? Like going to call me on my bullshit. You know, I, I used to say that uh, the greatest thing that 12-step recovery did for me was all of a sudden I had a place where now like I had someone who's going to teach me how to live a good way and give me a handbook on how to do it, <laughs> walk me through that handbook, show me how to be a good person and help me to how to understand, how, how to have a higher understanding, uh, have a relationship with a higher power of my understanding. You know what I mean? And like, I didn't know any of that. Like I had read tons of spirituality books and can tell you all cool things about like awesome psychedelic experiences and like meeting God that way. But like, I had no relationship with a higher power. I had no relationship, a personal relationship. Like now, like, uh, you know, Raina and I talk about this, like, I don't pray. I, I have a running dialogue with God now, you know, and, uh, but <clears throat> sponsorship was huge in that. And cause anytime I had a question about what to do, all I had to do is text somebody or call somebody and they gave me an answer. Like I know for me, that was huge. So can I ask both of you then, like for people who may be at a place in, in their journey where they haven't asked for a sponsor yet, or they're not, they don't feel confident yet quite asking for a sponsor or what would you suggest? They're not sure who might be a good fit yet. Like they haven't met someone that feels like a good fit. What would you suggest? That's a good question. Um, I would say a bad fit is better than no fit. Like um, I, you know, um, I haven't always worked with the same sponsor. Um, my first sponsor, he's kind of one of those guys who works with you for like the first 90 days, get you through the steps real quick. And then it's like, cool, man. Like you need to find somebody to work with long-term. He's like all about like, he's like a newcomer headhunter. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I didn't just jump into bed with the next person. You know what I mean? Like I, I shopped around and, uh, but the thing is, is like, you don't want to wait too long because especially in early recovery, because if you don't have that person to be accountable to, then it just like we, we talked about in the beginning, you know what I mean? Like you just end up bullshit and they're like, it's, or like Brett talked about, you know, it's, it's easy to like, like, Oh, I'm going to go to a meeting after I drink today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you said, it's the hundredth time who, you know, who's in their first 24 hours. And it's like, it's like, what are you building up? bar stole out of chips you know what i mean <laughs> right <laughs> yeah definitely and some of the best advice that i've received is to look for someone that has qualities that you want to have so that's what i've always i've had multiple sponsors and that's something that i've always done is i've looked i go to the i go to the, some of the same meetings and i i look for those characteristics of other men and see things in them that i want to be like my current sponsor before I asked him to be, to be my sponsor, I noticed that he's a really kind and compassionate person and he's very level-headed and just, he seems like he's just, just full of serenity. I don't, I don't know a better way to describe it. Like he's just always just like super, super chill. Like doesn't matter what else is going on in his life, whether, you know, it's a good day or a bad day. He just always seems like he's just, he's just level. And that was something that was attractive to me. Cause I feel like my emotions are still 
kind of up and down sometimes like work is stressful and and i'm angry and you know something good happens i'm happy and it's just kind of like up and down and it's like i want to be more like him so i'm going to ask him but i agree with what rex said like you don't want to be in that spot where you wait too long because then you just end up you don't, the accountability piece is, is huge to have somebody that's like you said call you out on your bullshit like that's that was a huge part because like i want to pick a sponsor that goes to my meeting so if i start missing meetings or whatever like somebody's going to notice and then they can be like hey haven't seen you in a week what's going on yeah and there's a there's also a lot of the um the true program or programs i'll say is in the work with a sponsor. Like there's a lot of things that you don't learn until you speak to other people in the program or that you don't understand. You know, you can only read the book so many times. And then a lot of the, a lot of the deeper things are actually conveyed in that, um, in, in the rooms or, um, with a sponsor. I, um, Raina will attest to this. I'm kind of a, uh, I'm addicted to learning. So is she. <laughs> and uh, we uh, or one of the things that I like to do is um, I love the appendix in the back of the AA big book, um, Spiritual Experience. About there's uh, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it talks about uh, there's no greater spiritual malady than contempt prior to investigation. Um, so I wanted to be the best sponsor that I could for the guys that I worked with. So. I didn't just study the big book. I studied Dr. Bob and the good old timers and AA comes of age and um, came to believe the little book that talks about those three words and like the huge meaning, like came means to arrive to came to means to have awoken, you know, and like came to believe, you know, awakening to the idea that we're not alone. You know, and like, and like uh, there's another little book, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, um, letters written it's like a little pamphlet book it's like 70 pages but it's like little things that people just wrote to kind of help newcomers you know what i mean like i wanted to know it's kind of like the supreme court they don't just look at the law they look at the what was the intent behind the law kind of thing so like when i got to a point you know when my brain started to clear up and i was like oh, okay so i'm all in on this like when i I started doing it for parole. I was, uh, I was on parole and I, I, I relapsed and I was like afraid I was going to go back to jail. Truthfully, I say it was because I was afraid for my life, but the reality was I was afraid for my freedom. If you want to be hundred percent honest. And, uh, so my goal was all I got to do is make, I got sober in January the first time. And I was like, all I have to do is make till August. If I can just make it till August, then I'm good. I can get high, do whatever I want, and I got to worry about it. It was around July that I, it was, I think it was after I went to my first Colorado conference of young people in AA. It was like June of that year. And I was like, man, like, this is cool. I can be sober and have fun, still play poker, still talk to chicks, still hang out with my friends, still go shoot pool at the bar. Because now I have a protective bubble and like it talks about in the big book, like we can go anywhere if our motives are right. So like, I'm not going to the bar to like live vicariously through the people drinking, looking for answers in the bottom of a glass. I'm going there for the connection and the fun and so that life still happens, even though I'm not trying to kill myself on the installment plan anymore. 
So I just, uh, I wanted to be the best sponsor that I could. So I wanted to know the intent behind the steps, you know, and like, uh, Raina, she can talk about this a little bit, but she's, uh, she's been going to adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. And, uh, they said, like, they talk about how, and like, and I know this from, from like reading a lot about Bill and the things that he did, uh, after the AA world services was kind of formed and that, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but it's, I think it's when they ratified the concepts that year. Um, Bill kind of went on a spiritual journey and he said that the next progression from, uh, physical sobriety was emotional sobriety. And like, that's a big thing with me is like, I did a lot of physical sobriety, but it wasn't until I really looked at the root causes of why I felt the need to put a needle in my arm, why I felt the need to smoke a crack pipe or drink. I hate drinking. I hate the way it tastes unless it's like some foo-foo weird, like a purple hooter or some like weird, crazy syrupy drink. I don't like to taste alcohol. So, but I would drink because I would rather be fucked up than feel the way I felt. So like when I decided eight, like almost eight and a half years ago, I decided that I needed to heal the trauma. I needed to figure out the root causes and 12 steps gave me a lot of it, all the insight to what that was. It gave me the tools and the knowledge to dig deeper and to figure out how that was. And like, so, I mean, like, was that part of your, is that part of your journey? Like, did you have to go back and figure out what it was that kind of made you feel better by drinking what it was about drinking and getting high that made you feel better, what it was about yourself that you didn't like to feel that that made it okay. Yeah, definitely. For me, I think a lot of it stemmed from just feeling social anxiety. And I I shared this on another podcast and, and some people think it's really interesting, but I was homeschooled K through 12. So I didn't, I didn't go through like the normal schooling process. And I think that played part of a role in it because I didn't really feel like I did some socializing, but like I grew up in going in, going to church. Like my family was very religious. And so that was like almost the extent of my socialization was church and church activities. Um, And so I think some of it, especially in the beginning was like, just like that deep seated rebellion in me of just like, you know, I don't agree with what's happening. So like, this is the way that I, you know, I stick it to the man, you know, like, fuck you guys, I'm going to do what I want. Um, And I think a lot of it came back to that social anxiety and just not feeling like I had a normal childhood and, and not really knowing how to have conversations with people like that's a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Something that I've developed since I've gotten into recovery, you know, I've become a lot more comfortable being with people. I mean, if you'd asked me a few years ago if I would ever have a podcast or something, I would be like, hell no. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't want to talk to people. Like, just let me stay in my own little space and be happy and content where I'm at. Um, but that's, some, that's one of the gifts that I found in recovery is just learning how to heal that trauma, being able to identify what it is. Because, you know, a few years ago, I probably couldn't have told you that that I had social anxiety and that I didn't like being around people. Um, and if you ask my wife today, she'd be like, you're, you're such an outgoing person and you talk to everybody. Uh, and that's, that's something that's new for me. So I don't see myself as being like a social person. I would still label myself as an introvert, but I guess I'm an introvert that that's like a weird hybrid of like partially like a outgoing introvert. Maybe I don't really know. <laughs> Well, and I, Gabor Mate says that about addiction, that it's um, about the a dislocation of people, that they, they feel disjointed and unconnected in some way, that that's usually at the core of most people's addiction. So, and, and that can be from all sorts of different things, you know, that make us feel disconnected in, in different ways. So how did you get, uh, how'd you get started on the podcast? Man, that's a good question. Uh, and I feel like I get asked that almost every time I give an interview and I don't feel like I have like any kind of great profound answer to that. <laughs> um, I feel like my higher power was kind of telling me that it's what I was supposed to do. I just had this idea one day when I was at work, I was listening to a different recovery podcast and I was like, man, I need to do this. And so then I started doing some research and I ordered like a $20 mic on Amazon and I recorded some really terrible promos that never aired and that no one besides my wife has ever heard. Um, and I put together a couple episodes and decided to start a podcast. Um, and right after the first episode aired, um, 
in my area is when the COVID lockdown started and everybody was stuck at home. And to me, there was just kind of this moment of like, that was why you were supposed to start a podcast was because now people in your home group and all around the world that are used to going to meetings and staying connected with other people in recovery, here's another way for them to continue and get like little pieces of recovery, even if they're stuck at home. Um, so it's just kind of crazy though, just the timing of the whole thing. Uh, cause I had these grand plans of like, I'm going to interview people in person and I'm going to, you know, I had all these different ideas for the podcast and then, you know, here everybody is stuck at home and, I quickly started finding people on social media and like doing zoom calls and recording them. And here we are almost two years later, man. Like it's crazy to think that just like the impact that, that I can have on people. Like I didn't even, I didn't ever have any plans, you know, like a lot of people that I've talked to when they talk, they're like, if you're going to start a podcast, you need to have a plan and you need to record 10 episodes and you need to promote on social media and like, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I didn't do any of that. Like I just started <laughs> talking and hit record and then started posting it. Like there was no planning at all. It just kind of happened. Yeah. I kind of, uh, I've kind of just experienced that. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> I just published my book and I did it the totally wrong way. Like, <laughs> I went about it backwards and ended up self-publishing. And, uh, but then I was like talking with a buddy of mine, he'll be a guest on the show here. Um, and, uh, we were talking about doing Instagram lives every week. Um, to, he goes into schools and talks to, uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers about drug prevention and stuff like that. Um, and, he gets a lot of questions. So he talked about, he started using late in life. He comes from a really strict Mormon family and he didn't even start using anything, any intoxicant at all until he was 32. So he's like, there's levels to the questions that they asked that I can't answer. So he, you know, we were going to kind of like uh, team up on it. And, but in talking to him just about that, he was like, bro, he was like, He's like, I've read the book. He's like, you have to do a podcast. He's like, seriously. He's like, you just have to. And I was like, well, all right, let me look into it. And then I looked into it and like, I talked to you, you were a big help. You answered a lot of my questions early on. And then, you know, the old Mr. Wizard Google, like if you can't find it on Google, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can't find on there. That's like, you know what I mean? But like basic stuff, you know, it's really on there. Uh, but in that process, like I have learned how to, podcast how to build a website i learned what seo is i learned about key phrase keyword phrases and keywords and all these different things and i feel like this whole journey through not preparing like the most preparing i did i think i made a flyer on canva um <laughs> and like every once in a while i'll i've got an app that it's like text on photo so i'll add some stuff on it and be like oh come one week to go six days to go. Like that was the most promotion I did. This is the second episode we're recording. So I didn't do any advanced recording. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. Sorry, but, uh, I, I had my phone on do not disturb. And for some reason that call still came through. So I don't know what. Oh, happening. I didn't hear it. Oh, cool. Did you hear it? I, I didn't hear it, but you know, that happens to me sometimes when I have my meditation app on that's so it's supposed to be doubly blocked and it still sometimes will. So I don't know what that's about. But well, if neither one of you heard it, then it didn't happen. Yep. <laughs> I'm a professional, damn it. 
<laughs> um, so you touched on the whole COVID thing. So since the since right before COVID started, um, twenty nineteen, drug overdoses have become the number one killer of adults between the ages of eighteen and sixty four. Surpassed cancer, surpassed heart disease, and in the past two years, it's surpassed COVID. Um, I personally, and I'm not the only one, there are probably millions of people who share this opinion, but I believe that a big part of it is, is because if you look at the relapse rates, if you look at the fact that they're shutting down meetings, you know, like this is the thing that I thought was crazy. It's like liquor stores and, uh, medical marijuana and recreational dispensaries are essential. You know what I'm saying? But like church and AA and NA and 12 step recovery meetings aren't essential. They were closed down. And I think that, you know, we, we kind of started this conversation talking about connection. And I think a big part of that is the drug overdoses and the relapse rate is because of the lockdowns. You know, if, if you look at people need connection, we need to touch each other. We need to hug each other. We need to talk to each other. We need to interact with each other. And addicts and alcoholics, especially, we need to relate with each other. We need to know that, man, I'm not the only one who fucking had a shit day today. You know what I mean? Like, I need to go hear about somebody else's worst day or hear about somebody's great day. So I can be like, okay, cool. There's still our good days. You know what I mean? This too shall pass. Um, But have a... like was that, like because you, you you go to meetings and stuff. Have you noticed like people dropped off or people missing that you've kind of heard bad news? Uh, I don't know that I've heard any bad news about anybody in particular, but I've seen those same statistics that you're talking about, and and it's just heartbreaking, man, just to see how devastating this pandemic has been on the recovery community and. And I totally agree with you on the whole connection thing. There's there's a quote, and I can't remember who said it, but they said the the opposite of addiction is connection. And I believe that. Like, that was the missing piece for me in my recovery because I tried to do it solo and was not successful for any substantial length of time. And that's that's been the thing that's that's been so vital to me in my recovery is just finding other people that have been through similar situations, people that understand that kind of pain and suffering that we go through. Like my wife is a, as a normie, like she doesn't understand when I talk about like back in the day, like she doesn't understand that. Like I'll tell her stories and stuff and she'll be just be like, that doesn't even sound like something you would do. I was like, you don't even know the half of it. Like I'm a totally different person today and that's because of recovery and the 12 steps. But like, I used to do some fucked up shit, man. Like (laughs) you don't even want to know, like, like my wife just doesn't get it. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about, about the connection that we have with one another in recovery is like, I can say some pretty terrible things and you know, the person sitting next to me is like, Oh yeah, I've done that too. Or I've done something similar to that. And, and there's just like yeah. that camaraderie, man. It's it's almost like like the camaraderie that that vets have with one another because they've been to war and like they understand. They've seen some of that same shit and like they've gone through it. And that's kind of what it's like for us in in recovery. Like we've been through that same shit. So it's like, yeah, we we get it. Like we understand what it's like. Well, the reality is is that we are veterans of America's longest running war. Yeah, you know, we're POWs. We've we've been prisoners of war. We're 
you know, like the world is finally starting to awaken and understand that like, hey, maybe these drug addicts and alcoholics aren't really criminals, you know, maybe there's a mental health aspect to it, you know, because I have done almost 15 years in the system, prisons, halfway houses, county jails. I have been an addict actively using or drinking since 1986 to 2013 with a few years break in there off and on. And I have never met an addict or an alcoholic or an overeater or an adult child of alcohol, any of them who doesn't have some mental health issues. And it's not, and like, and I've met, especially with alcoholics, the alcoholics, a lot of them I've met started off just partying, didn't really have bad childhoods. Nothing was really wrong, but they liked to party too much. And then when they tried to stop and couldn't stop, that was the trauma. That was the, oh shit, well now I'm fucked. So I might as well just keep going. You know what I mean? But it's like, there's always some level of, like you, like we said, disconnection. I love that quote, man. The opposite mm-hmm. of addiction is connection. That's great. I love that. I completely agree with you too. I think people who, who feel connected and, and important in some way, vital to other people, they, they have a different sense of worth about themselves. And, and it's not, you know, it's never, it's never about blame. It's not that like our parents did everything wrong or society is this, that, or the other. I mean, this is, this is just a a part of our life at this point in time, you know, where families, there's really a lot of dysfunction going around, you know, that's, it's a real deal. And, um, and, and, but I agree, you know, underneath, underneath even this addiction, there's, there's this pain and disconnection. And if that part isn't looked at, I don't think you, I think the connection is absolutely vital for recovery. The ability to be vulnerable and still be accepted and held and received is, is vital to recovery. We had a um, conversation with a, with a buddy um, the other day on one of the episodes we were recording, um, and uh, we talked about spiritual synchronicity, but we also talked about um, being grateful for the struggle. That in hindsight, now where I am, thank God, thank God for that shit that I went through as a kid and as a teenager and as an adult, you know, and like thank God for all of the struggle because. I'm good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, I now have this resolve and life experience and resiliency and, but also not just the tough stuff. Like I've, I got so tough that I became soft. Like I'm vulnerable now. I um, allow myself to feel, I allow myself to emote. I get angry when I'm angry. I get sad when I'm sad. I don't try to bottle it up and wait for the cork to blow and that be my reason to become a human pincushion again. You know, I, uh, I was saying part of the conversation, you made me think about it right now was, uh, you have to feel worthy. You have to feel value. So 
when I tried to take my own life and that didn't work, I felt like a failure, but I was like, but I'm also a big believer that everything happens for a reason. So that was like, okay. And then the first time I got sober, I had people who genuinely cared about me that when I relapsed, they came and brought me to meetings. They were like, we don't care, man, not out at the meeting, just come to the meeting. So for that hour, that hour and a half, we know you're good. So that coupled with the fact that my life didn't end started to show me that I had value. And then when I'm sitting in County jail and my best friend's crying, asking me when I'm going to quit jipping him out of his life, I was like, holy shit this dude's not going to stop loving me. There's something about me that has value. And that's like, she was just saying, you know, it wasn't until I saw the value in other people's eyes that I started to look for it with my own eyes. And that was the real beginning of the transformation and change that, you know, here we are today. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, I can even attest to that with, with my story, man. Like I was at that place where I didn't feel like I mattered to anyone else. And then that, that buddy of mine pulled me aside and like, you know, had that hard talk. And that was like, that was it. Like, I felt like, okay, here's somebody that actually cares. Like he sees me, he, he sees that I'm struggling and he's letting me know, like, if you don't change, you're going to die. And like, it's going to affect me because I love you and I want you to be a part of my life. So like, Get your shit together, man. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, well, I was just going to just touch on just the, the pain that our addictions cause other people. Like we don't, we do, we're just so in the midst of our own experience, we are, we're not able to understand our impact. And then once we can really feel that we're like, wow, um, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, thank you for loving me anyway. Well, yeah. I think that's, I think that's when the lie gets shattered. It's like, you know, cause we as addicts, we're like, oh, you know, fuck you. It's my life. You know what I mean? Like to, you know, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And that's the biggest lie. That's the biggest lie. Cause then somebody eventually, if we're lucky, confronts us, you know, holds a mirror up to us and is like, yo, you know, you're lying. You're full of shit. You don't even believe yourself, you know? Yeah. Thank goodness for all this stuff, huh? So tell me a little bit about recovery revolution. Tell the, tell the people who don't know. Yeah, for sure, man. So that's kind of a newer project for me. Um, we've been doing it for, um, let's see, like five months or so now I'm trying to think, cause we've done like 20 odd episodes. We do one a week. So yeah about five months now. So I had approached, uh, J.R. Weaver. He, he wrote a book called the addiction manifesto. And <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even know that he had this Facebook page. Um, but he has a Facebook page called recovery revolution. And, uh, so I sent him a message on, I think it was Instagram. Like, Hey man, want to have you on the show? Love what you're doing. You know, I love, re I love reaching out to authors, you know, cause they, they bring like this whole different perspective to things. And, and I feel like they make really great guests for podcasts. Um, so that's <laughs> that's kind of how Rex and I met too. Like I, <laughs> I seem to find sober authors and and have a lot of them on my show. And so he and I were messaging back and forth on Instagram a little bit, and um, he was like, "Well, I'm pretty busy right now. Uh, I got a lot going on, but would you be interested in uh, starting a starting a podcast with me?" 
And my first <laughs> thought was like, no, man, like I already got, I already have a podcast. Like I'm trying to get you on mine. Like, I don't, I don't want to start one with you. And, uh, so we kept talking for a little bit and, and he, he had some cool ideas. He's like, I'm wanting to do uh video. I'm wanted to be live. Uh, like I have this Facebook page and we have a bunch of followers on there. And I think it'd be really cool to be able to interact with people live and like answer recovery questions and have different interviews and, and, uh, you know, something again, probably my higher power, you know, I, 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 I think it was my higher power. Something was tugging me and saying like, you need to do this. Um, so he and I discussed it a little bit more and I found his Facebook page and, and I, I hopped on there and I was like, holy shit, this guy has like a quarter of a million people on this Facebook page. Like this, this guy's got something going on. Like I had no idea that he was a part of this page. I just knew about his book. Um, and so he and I talked a little bit and, and, um, I had never done video at all. Like I've, I was strictly audio only podcast and that's what I had been doing for, you know, almost two years. Um, so I did like any good addict and I just like became obsessed with this idea of doing a live stream. And I like watched every YouTube video and read every blog article and like became an expert on live streaming in like three days and <laughs> ordered, ordered a couple pieces of equipment and like got stuff set up. And then he and I, uh, he and I started doing weekly episodes and then, um, a couple weeks, a couple weeks, a couple months into it, he decided that he wanted to take, uh, take a step back from it. Cause he's also working on, he just got his nonprofit status, um, say the same name as the Facebook page recovery revolution. And he's trying to do all kinds of cool stuff in his community. He's from, uh, South Carolina. So he's trying to do, uh, like scholarships for people to go to rehab and help people pay for wow. sober living and like do all kinds of really cool things in his community. So he's kind of taken a step back from the live stream and we've connected with a few other people. Um, and so now it's a three person show and then we do interviews. So it, it's, it's me. And then there's another podcast host named Carl. He, he, uh, hosts a show called the drunken worm podcast and the third host is Ashley Grimes, and she is the NAMI uh, Florida president. So she does a lot of advocacy work for the recovery community, and she has more of a, a clinical background and, and knows a lot about, like, destigmatizing language and, and uh, like, the different laws and things that, are, that Florida is doing to, like, try to help in the stigma and, like, help people in recovery. Um, so it's a really cool mix and oh yeah and, and carl works at a rehab so there's like this really cool mix of like professionals and you know all three of us have lived experience and then we have different different guests on like last night we had a guest on um from australia who's a big advocate for mental health and you know we we just go on for however long you know some episodes are like an hour and we've had several that are closer to two hours and and it's been really cool because we have that live interaction. There's that that chat box where people can jump on there and ask questions and get sounds feedback. fun. And yeah, dude, it's awesome. Like I, I feel like that's just helping further my reach. Like helping get that recovery message out there. And it's really cool just to have those conversations, not only with the guests but with the people that are also watching live and being able to ask questions. Like, hey, I'm struggling. What do you guys think I should do? 
or you know what what the my favorite ones are when there's like new people on there that just ask like hey what did you do in your first 30 days what did you do the first 90 days like asking those newcomer questions and being able to like have that dialogue and you know i'll even hop on there and like get in a private chat and be like hey here's my cell phone number text me after we get off the live and and there's several people that i've met through that that, that i talk to you know a couple times a week it's just it's awesome man that's incredible man well, and it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a really beautiful evolution of, of the recovery movement. You know, how cool that like this aspect of it has grown from the whole COVID thing, you know, and it kept a lot of people, a lot of people continued to meet the way they could, you know, so it's, it, 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 that part of it does show something. It's a, it's a good part of it. And what, when, when, when is that air? When is that live? Yeah, so we do that every Thursday night, um, 7 p.m. Central is when we start, or I believe that's 8 Eastern. Um, yep. I'm terrible with time zones. <laughs> that's why I love, like, scheduling apps and stuff, because it does the conversions for me, man. Like, in the beginning, I was just, like, sending people messages and then having to try to figure out the time zones, and and I'm not good at time zones. So for yeah. those who don't know, that's 8 Eastern, 7 <laughs> Central, 6 Mountain, and 5, five. Pacific. Yep, yep. yep, 5 Pacific. Yeah, and that, that's the, that's the Hawaiian too. Is we're like we're all over the country too. So like our, the hosts, like everybody's time zone there is different too, and it's it's three p.m. in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett, it was great having you on, man. Um, like I said, this is you got Recovery Survey, Recovery Revolution Live. People can find all of your links and all of your info in the show notes. We'll have that attached to everything. Um, thanks for having me on when you did. Thanks for being on now. It was great talking to you. Nice nice having a conversation with you. Absolutely, man. I'm so honored that you asked me to come on. Uh, and I'm the first guest, no less. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So if anybody's interested in hearing Rex's episode, uh, search Recovery Survey or like you said, it's going to be in the show notes. He was episode 78. So if you're looking for that in your podcast app, you're going to have to scroll down a little ways, but he's on there. Number 78. I also wanted to congratulate on the hundredth episode. That was a really yeah. good show. I really dug that. That was fun. Thanks man. Yeah. And you, you had a little, a little small part. Yeah. So for the people that haven't heard it, like I just, I sent messages out to a bunch of previous guests and stuff. And it was just like, Hey, could you record like a 60 second, two minute like little clip and just like compiled a whole bunch of different clips from previous guests and people shouting out the show and giving like encouragement for people in recovery and just all kinds of cool stuff. And I think it, I think it turned out really, really awesome, man. So thank you for sending that message in. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. That's Brett Morris from recovery survey. Um, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Brett. Thank you guys. Take it easy, brother. Namaste. Take care. Hi. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you or, or anyone you know is in need of help, please feel free to reach out to us at our website, nolovepodcast.com, or follow any of the links in the show notes. You're not alone. You don't have to face anything alone. There is help. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.